0: Stats
1: in a Wrap, the new podcast
2: series from Eurostat. No, I think it is likely that oil and gas will
1: increase.
0: Welcome to another episode of Stats in a Wrap the podcast series from Eurostat, the statistical office of the European Union. With this podcast series, we want to immerse ourselves in the world of statistical data by wrapping them into small packages, intriguing stories and fascinating conversations about the everyday and not so everyday that we experience in our lives. No topic is too obscure or too obvious, because we, the data scientists at the frontiers of knowledge, know that the numbers never lie, and they nearly always have something new to say. We hope to bring you interesting, delicious bites served piping hot from our wrap stall. I'm Jonathan Elliott, your host for this episode, and today we're going to be talking about the prices of things and what happens when they just won't stop going up. Inflation is in the news a lot these days. For a while, it was a monster that every economist and finance minister believed could be tamed before it became a runaway problem or hyperinflation. That can be incredibly destructive, and the cure can sometimes be as bad as the disease itself. Europe is not facing hyperinflation yet, but along with much of the rest of the world, it is in the grip of inflation fever. And that is affecting everyone. So what's going on? Prices are numbers and they're everywhere. From supermarkets to petrol stations, online and offline, we've got more price data than we've ever had before. So if we can crunch those numbers, maybe we can find out what's going on with the EU's inflation problem and what might be done about it. We need data detectives. We need number crunchers. We need Eurostat to bring you inflation's stats in a wrap. And I have a couple of people here with me today who are excellently placed to figure out the figures. Paul Conane from Eurostat. Hello. And Professor Ludwig von Auer from the University of Trier. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining Stats in a Wrap today. You're going to help us understand inflation and why it's rising in, um, in Europe. But first of all, let's just work out what it is that we're talking about here. What is inflation?
1: I especially experience it when I go grocery shopping, it's just crazy how the, the sum when you pay your grocery shopping changes and of course yeah with the fuel prices every time I go and I have a car so I have to fuel it up and yeah the prices are just insane.
0: Let me just throw that at you, Ludwig. For the person in the street, how do you define inflation?
3: When you have inflation in an economy, then the value of your money that you hold in cash or in a a bank account decreases. And we don't like that, of course. So in other words, we have to spend more money to buy the same products than previously. Or, Or even simpler, inflation means that our cost of living increases.
0: So that's simple enough. It's, it's a bit scary. But if your wages are rising and um, you're keeping up with uh, inflation, then why should we be worried? Why is it actually a bad thing?
3: Well, as long as your wages uh, keep up with inflation, your living standard uh, is fine, uh, at least if you live only on wages. But if wages increase less than inflation, then you can buy from your wages fewer apples, bananas and whatever you like to buy. So we have to worry about an inflation that is now almost 8 percent.
0: I remember uh, growing up in the 70s at a period of like heavy inflation and low growth. And uh, it was awful. Three day week, uh, candles, power cuts, lots of strikes. uh, And I think for everybody who isn't used to inflation, it'll be tough. 8% 8% is, doesn't sound a lot, but of course, it is a very high number compared to historically what um, Europe and the world has experienced. There was a time when anything going above 1% was regarded as worrying. So 8% is quite a lot. But historically, of course, there have been some extraordinary phases. Paul, um, we were discussing a little bit about a hyperinflation when it, it just gets completely crazy Um, there are some extraordinary historical examples aren't there particularly
2: in uh, germany in the 1920s can you tell us about that well in the 20s in germany we had there was inflation of hundreds of thousands percents per day almost it was disappearing under your hands so that is indeed certainly not a situation we're in today the levels that we see uh, now uh, around eight percent are a bit similar to what we've seen in the 70s of the previous century uh, when there was the oil crisis so we saw similar levels of inflation but they also lasted for several years and that is of course n- not yet uh, certain that that will happen as well right now uh yes so um, uh, history has some
0: interesting lessons here during the 1920s in germany it said that wood fuel weight for weight was actually worth more than banknotes So it was cheaper to burn banknotes to stay warm. Um, And the worst inflation ever recorded was in Hungary in 1945 to 1946, when there was a daily inflation rate of 207%. It's difficult to understand that, really, the price of things doubling within a single day. Fortunately, we're not quite there yet, but it is still not all good. So how have we got to this position in 2022? How have we arrived here, Ludwig? Literally, what has led to this situation?
3: Well, I would say there are three obvious uh, drivers of these high inflation numbers. First of all, energy prices. But there are also bottlenecks in international transportation contributing to inflation. And of course, there are some output disruptions. uh, So also they contribute to inflation. But behind these three components, there are basic forces at work. And maybe they will stay with us for a while, some of them at least. Hopefully not the first one. The first one is certainly the Russian war on Ukraine. So that is an important factor currently. But a long-run aspect is the need to fight climate change. So this is related to energy prices. Then I would also list uh, the pandemic And its current handling, for example, in China, uh, where we see uh, that there are output disruptions in Shanghai and uh, also the supply chains. And the fourth one is a bit historical in the sense that there are a lot of cash savings in private households due to the pandemic. During that time, consumers accumulated uh, money and now they uh, spend it so that also means a high demand and high demand raises prices so this contributes as well yeah i definitely have been trying to drive a lot less and i used to fill up my car tank all the way but now it's too expensive so i'll fill it up at like 10 to 20 increments at a time instead of the normal
2: full tank
0: that's uh, fascinating. I mean, what I'd really like to know is why everything goes back to energy. It seems like energy is the. I mean, we will talk about some of the other aspects that you've talked about, the pandemic, monetary policy, and so on. But uh, the fundamental driver, as it was in the 1970s, is is energy. Now, why is that?
3: This is an interesting similarity to the 1970s. Again, the inflation is um, partly caused by energy prices. The problem is that you find these prices in basically all manufactured goods. They all rely on energy. So if this input price increases, the cost of producing these products increases. And after a while, you will see that also um, you will pay as a consumer larger prices. This might take a, a while until The cost is passed on to the consumers, but uh, in the end, it will be passed on. And so I guess at the end of the year, uh, this process will be completed, hopefully.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Paul, uh, it'd be really good to see how uh, inflation breaks down. Obviously, energy is the leader here. It's uh, driving inflation. Energy prices are driving inflation, but it's percolating down to all the other groups of spending. So can you just talk us through the different categories of purchase um, that have been affected
2: by energy inflation? Yes, indeed. So overall inflation currently stands at around 8% for the month of May. And uh, the big driver, as Ludwig says, is energy So the 8% means that uh, the price level now is 8% higher than price level in the month of May from last year. It's always the annual comparison. And we look at energy, then um, this has increased uh, by almost 40% since a year ago. This is extremely high. And uh, of course, we have never seen uh, this kind of numbers in the last 25 years. Uh, I wanted to
0: touch on another cause or driver of inflation that Ludwig alluded to, which is about supply chains um, and about particularly in this case, China's response to COVID uh, and the way in which that has produced an effect on supply chains globally. What on earth has anything that affects China and COVID, how is that affecting us and the cost of things in the shops?
3: Well, for example, it takes uh, semiconductors. If you don't find your usual semiconductors that are best fitted to your product, let's say a car, then to get the car built, you try to find other semiconductors, maybe at a higher price, um, less suitable. So it means additional adjustments. So that then pushes up the price uh, of finally of the car. So this is how we then finally see that bottlenecks in, in transportation Get into higher final consumption product prices.
1: We already reached um, a top, so I don't think that it's gonna go up uh, much, much more. Um, and I think there is not gonna be a rise, but when it comes to what it's been hit, I think it's grocery.
0: Okay, so it's all a bit of an unpleasant mix of a perfect storm, as they say, where different factors, probably slightly unrelated, are all driving in together. And of course, we could be facing a long period of high energy costs, particularly. Supply chains, well, we hope eventually will sort themselves out. But with energy costs, if we have a future of high energy costs, do we need to worry about that? If, uh, if, if they just stay high and they kind of plateau out, um, are we still in a dangerous space?
3: Of course, we then have to pay more for energy than we did in the past. That means we have left over less money for other things. So, this is probably what we do not like. But on the other hand, inflation finally will go back to zero because inflation is always a comparison of current price. Uh, to to this uh, price one year ago, uh, during that month. So if prices for energy now remain on this high level that we currently see, then in 12 months time, then inflation is back to zero. But that still doesn't make us happy.
0: Yeah, so that's fascinating. It's important to say here, um, in a, and in a podcast, I think really important that we say that these measurements are not just done for Abstract academic interest. They're actually the raw material of policy. They help governments and institutions decide how to steer the great ship. Ludwig, can you talk us through why it's so important that we get statistical measurements of inflation, particularly absolutely as clear and as correct as we can? And what is then done with that data, both within the countries, individual member states, and also within the European Central Bank? Can you just talk us through the utility of
3: these? At the specific countries, there they compute the consumer price index, that's the official measure of inflation within a country. And you said that's the reference then for wage bargaining, uh, for social security benefits, also for indexing rents, for example or for uh, other types of contracts. So for those contracts, it's nice if you know over time that uh, what is changing the cost of living. So you can arrange in a contract to compensate for that. And that's useful for both sides.
0: Okay, let's just talk about the measurement of these numbers. Um, we are talking about prices and how we how we measure the the rise in prices and across twenty seven different countries. That's um, quite an undertaking. Not carried out by Eurostat, of course. They are collating the data and having to make and they need to make sure that but they do need to make sure that the data is is comparable. And this is a fascinating job. Paul, just talk, talk us a bit about how you harvest these. Incredible variety of prices in twenty-seven different countries. What do they all do, and how do they go about it? How do you collect prices?
2: Basically, the approach for inflation measurement is that each country, each statistical office in the, um, in Europe or around the world, in fact decides every year on the basket of goods and services that they that they're going to follow. Goods and services that are commonly purchased by households, and they follow. From that basket of goods or services, the prices every month. That means they send out people to shops, uh, service providers around the country to observe what is happening to the prices in each of the countries, in each of these shops. And they bring that home or they send it to the statistical offices, which uses this data to, to follow and to measure these, this inflation. That's the basic approach. So, really physical price collection of data in shops. What is also important is to weight these goods and services correctly so because some goods and services are more important for households than others in terms of what of the share in the budget that the households have. We also put uh, weight on each of these uh, price changes and together they make up an inflation number. This is the basic model that has been around for decades in most countries or even uh, for, for many years. It's now also due to uh, the digitalization of the retail trade um, changing a lot. But there's a lot more information now on the internet and uh, from other data sources available that can be used to produce even better inflation measures and to follow it even more closely and in more detail
0: there's another interesting problem of course for inflation measurement and that's the seasonality of it um paul can you explain why you have to do it um annually at a particular time of year why that specific time of year what's the reason for that
2: The prices are collected and measured uh, continuously. But if we look at the prices from one month to another month, then you uh, have to take into account that the prices behave in different ways across the seasons for different products. So this is why our numbers are typically published as uh, the change compared to the same period in the last year. So to have a measure that is not affected by these uh, typical seasonal patterns. Okay, I understand that. I mean, there are problems with doing uh, measurements
0: across uh, periods like that, because, of course, the products change and you have to compare like with like. The difficulty of a car uh, on on one year, the next year, it could be the same car, but it has a whole number of new um, uh, features. Um, And are are we looking at the same car? This is a sort of a bit of a problem, um, isn't it?
3: The problem is well known in the national statistical offices and uh, they try to adjust their measure of price increase. So if uh, a product has increased in price by 10%, but its quality went up by 10% also, then in the end you would say stable price. Now the difficulty is to evaluate the quality change in monetary terms and there are quite a few sophisticated methods. That you cannot use for all products because it's too much work but for some very important products like cars for example you would use them
0: you hear there's a shortage of corn flour or, or sunflower
3: oil your immediate reaction is to go to the supermarket and buy three bottles when you only need one uh, we're trying not to, to to do anything differently and i think if everyone carries on as normal, then I think you just trust the supply chains will be able to cope with that.
0: Eurostat's job, of course, is to collect data from all the member states. uh, And then it has to make sure that that data is really going to work. And each set of data from each country has to be genuinely useful. And that means you have to find out how that data was collated so that um, you can have a kind of evenness or a um, harmonization this is called harmonization between all the different data sets Um, so it's an enormous challenge Paul can you talk us through what you've got now you've got 27 member states obviously but there are 19 members of the eurozone just talk us through the challenge
2: so, indeed, uh, this is one of our key, um, uh, key challenges and our key mandate as well to ensure harmonized, comparable data across the European countries. We have different uh, ways of, of doing so. Effectively, so all the countries are sending us the data that they have, or the, the indexes that they have calculated, and they tell us also how they have calculated these indexes, these, these, these inflation measures. So we have all the data and the metadata, as we call it, to, um, to understand the inflation measures. What we do is to analyze that and to uh, come up with further uh, measures to make these further comparable. The big measure we take is uh, legal acts. So we actually define by legislation how countries should calculate certain statistics, including the inflation, and what it should cover, what it should not cover, and, and what are the minimum standards for the quality of, of these indicators. And we build on that with manuals, guidelines, we talk, we have intensive contact with all the member states about how these statistics are being produced and to ensure that we move continuously in the further direction of further uh, comparability and higher quality. That includes also these areas where we're now working hard on, where um, uh, new data sources are being used, digital data sources are being used, which is also um, a key challenge to ensure comparability across countries.
1: I would say inflation at this point is a global thing, but there are definitely a few regions that are affected more than others. Um, I think Europe, especially with the gas prices, is a region that is really affected and maybe also North America. But yeah, I can't speak that well on other regions because honestly, I don't really know and haven't read that much about other
0: places. Yes, yeah, so there's something unique about um, energy price hikes at the moment. As we've discussed, they're a critically important part of inflation, the driver of inflation. But um, they're dramatically different across the European Union uh, at the moment. The nearer you are to Russia, the more likely you are to feel energy inflation and its impacts. So how is Eurostat able to measure those and then harmonize them? I mean, I think I've got this right. Energy prices are fluctuating very widely across the different countries.
2: Yes, so there are are huge differences across Europe in in terms of inflation measures for different reasons. So we see indeed higher rates currently in Eastern European countries than in Western European countries uh, on the whole. The Baltic states, uh, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, they are the highest affected at, at the moment. And maybe that is also partly due to the war in Ukraine. That is one element that could play a role here. There are also other elements that play a role. So uh, if we look at comparison across countries, even between Germany and France, for example, has already included measures to compensate households for the increased energy prices uh, earlier this year. Germany is only starting with that now. So we see probably uh, soon that inflation in Germany will be uh, lowered because of the the, the big measures taken by the the German government recently. Uh, whereas in France it is already quite a bit lower. Another factor is that the French use a lot of uh, nuclear energy, so their energy prices are not as much affected by the gas and uh, oil price increases.
1: I don't think that an ordinary person can change the current situation a lot, but I definitely think that it's important that we make our voices heard that we don't agree with the situation and that we definitely need some solutions. And yeah, I think it's important to let our politicians know that.
0: I'd say as someone who grew up in an era both of high inflation in the 1970s and then also an era of incredibly low inflation and low interest rates, there was always this belief that you could control inflation by raising interest rates. And so the question remains that why is it that our central banks, both nationally and the European Central Bank, why aren't they just putting up interest rates to deal with the problem? Um, And in fact, why didn't they do it a long time ago? What stopped them from trying to act the way that they're supposed to in the classical response to high inflation? And it's just put up the interest rates.
3: So the central bank was a bit afraid of the recession that might uh, follow when you increase interest rates. Now, why is that? Why should there be a recession <laughs> when you increase interest rates? When the central bank increases its rates at which it lends to the private banks, then the private banks increase their interest rates at which they lend money to firms and private consumers. So if that rate goes up, then it's less attractive to invest for firms and to buy houses and to borrow also. So what happens is the buyers are more careful to buy anything. So there's less demand, we would say, in general. And when there is less demand, then, well, then you reduce growth or you even go into recession. That was the worry of the central bank so far. But now with these high inflation numbers, they must rebalance uh, their evaluation. Now we really have a high inflation and now there is a need to do something about it, even if there is some risk of a recession. The difference to the 70s is that the labor market is rather robust currently. That is, we do not have high unemployment rates currently, probably because of demographic differences between today and the 70s. So maybe the risk is much lower this time when the European Central Bank raises their interest rates. Maybe we can do it without a recession and at the same time reduce inflation.
0: Sorry, I just I'd like to pick up that point that we were making a little bit further, which is why that inflation can produce winners and losers. It can create greater economic divisions. Does that mean that it can lead to greater inequality? Um, if so, you know, have we got historic, recent history of that with the nineteen seventies? Did that, did it change the way that economies were? You found that uh, owners and um, people who had property um, were suddenly far better off than people who didn't.
3: Yeah, this is one reason why we have to fight inflation, uh, because it leads to stronger inequality. Usually uh, the richer ones have property, and uh, so they are more secured, better secured against inflation. And those who live on wages, um, they have maybe a little bit of savings, but this is typically cash or other simple financial. Fighting inflation is, uh, in a sense, uh, a social policy. So that, that, Maybe explains also the current need to reduce inflation again and possible within the next uh, half year, next year. It's certainly um, no good idea to let it run for another two, three years. So that should not happen because this badly increases inequality in all the member states.
0: The comparison with the seventies is also interesting because, of course, there was loose monetary policy in the nineteen seventies, and there's been loose monetary policy in in recently um, as well. Is is that a valid comparison?
3: Yes. In in the seventies, the government and central banks responded by um, a rather loose monetary policy, at least where central banks were not independent from the government, and this strategy did not really work out very well. And this time might be different because uh, we have this more robust uh, labor market currently and uh, a smaller danger of recession.
0: So we're in set for a long haul. Paul, I can't ask you about the, to predict the future, but maybe you could tell us about the latest data that you have and whether there are any changes in the acceleration or there are unusual patterns or things of note that you've seen about uh, the different categories of prices and whether we can um, uh, learn anything from that. Not necessarily what the future is, but whether it's uh, is anything of note about changing patterns in the last 10 months of rising prices.
2: The um, developments in the last 10 months have been unprecedented. So anything is unusual at the moment. Everything is is, is new and unusual. I think we see um, the main big pattern that we see now, and I think this will continue for a while, even if energy might flatten out or go, uh, go a bit down, we see that, that it will increase in the in the other categories. We see that already in the last months, in the food and and other products and also in the services eventually. That's the last category. Okay, that's fascinating. Um, Gentlemen, it's
0: been a truly revealing podcast today. I know far more about inflation and data collection than I did. And it makes inflation that little bit easier to understand and perhaps a little less worrying. Um, That just about wraps it up for Stats in a Wrap today. It only remains for me to say thank you to our guests, Paul Canane from Eurostat. Goodbye. Thank you. And Professor Ludwig von Auer from the University of
3: Trier. Goodbye, Jonathan. Thank you.
0: If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to share with friends and colleagues where Stats in a Wrap can be found on Spotify, Apple, Google, and all the usual places. And of course, join us for the next episode when we'll be dishing up more flavorsome insights from Eurostat. This time, an unusual addition because we'll be checking out the work of our young data detectives, the secondary school student winners of the 2021 and 2022 European Statistics Competitions. They created some amazingly clever and creative videos. About the environment and the spread of misinformation. Join us then, and for now, goodbye. Stats in a wrap.